0: Welcome to CPP Chat, a self-isolating look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we see who's in this week's chair, John has a disclaimer to read.
1: Thank you, Phil. CPP Chat is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of CPP Chat policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPP Chat. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by CPP Chat employees are those of the employees and not necessarily reflect the view of CPP Chat or any of its officials. If you have any questions about the disclaimer, please contact our Office of General Consul.
0: All right. Do you have a number for that office? Um,
1: We'll put that in the show notes. Promised. (laughs) Uh, you, it won't help you anyway. Our general counsel is working at home and is not reachable by phone. Um, so uh, our guest on this adventure in CBB chat is Bryce adelstein Um He is uh, slowly but surely taking over the entire uh, C++. W- what is your latest adventure, Bryce?
2: So, somebody, somebody on Slack. <laughs> Yesterday suggested uh, that my eventual ambition was like that. Price would eventually become the UN Secretary General, and then somebody was like Price for President. I assure you, I have no such uh, ambitions. Um, But they all say that. But uh, I am I am uh, doing more and more uh, standards uh, work, and it's becoming an increasing part of my. career. So I guess the the big news is that I am no longer going oh, to be...
1: No, 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 no. We're going to we're gonna hold off on that, and we're going to do...
2: Oh, oh, oh. Okay. All right. We're going to get to there.
1: The other news we always do before we get to the guest. So... All right. Uh, so that was a perfect tease. Uh, <laughs> do we have any other news? I think most of the other news is that pretty much everything's canceled. Pretty um, much, yes. There is, however, which I guess... Is this in the show notes? We'll put it in the show notes. There is a Reddit link... Mm-hmm. that is a posting of essentially all the events and um i guess the the question i should have asked you this before we went on the air what is the first non canceled event c++ event
2: um so I'm not, I think the, the f- first non-canceled one made well be CPPCon. con, but one thing that I've seen start to happen in the past week or so yeah. is um, things have gone from just saying we're canceled or postponed to um, that we're going to do something virtual. So tonight the, all of the, the Canadian C++ user groups yeah. are doing a virtual user group. Um, uh, I think, I don't, We'll put details about that in the show notes. Um, I don't remember the, the time exactly. And then next week, I think on Monday, um, uh, Core C++, the Israeli uh, user group, is doing a virtual meeting. Um, tomorrow, um, JF and I and Connor Hochstrata are doing uh, the second round of our uh, virtual public, which is just a like a informal get-together of C++ people. Um, I think we have something exciting planned for that. Um, And then uh, the Bulgaria C++ user group has also gone virtual. Um, So I I think we're going to see more um, uh, user groups um, doing these little virtual events. Um, And I think that's really good for the community. The, the, the first thing that's not yet been canceled that I know of, I'm looking at the page right now, is the Italian C++ conference, um, uh, which is uh, in June, but I'm I, – I, I haven't checked their website in a few days, so it. <laughs> Phyllis shaking his head like there's no way. Yeah. Um, although yeah. you know,
1: Italy will probably be recover before the rest of us do. So. Um,
2: well, we we can we can only hope. Yeah. But other than that, the next the next thing is um, is CPPCon.
0: Although technically, I think C plus plus Russia postponed to June as well, but I can't see that happening either.
2: Oh, you're you're um I believe you're, you're right about that. Uh, but they haven't put up concrete dates yet. Yeah. Um, I think some some people are looking at August. Most of the conferences, from what I've seen, are looking at October. Um, pretty much everybody that I've talked to has either said October or they've publicly said fall, but they've um, privately indicated to me October, um, which is one of the reasons I started the Reddit thread was I wanted uh, I wanted there to be an easy place for the conference organizers to see when everybody else was moving towards. Right,
1: hmm. right, right. Well, I mean they're close enough as it is (laughs) everybody wants to be in the same month that's going to be uh it's just a a terrible year for us all but i guess uh, in the grand scheme of things our industry is not hit nearly as badly as many so um so i shouldn't we shouldn't cry um yeah anyway is there anything else newsish that we want to get to before we talk about bryce's campaign to take over the c++ world Actually, your scope is broader than C++ but I'll let you explain that
2: um, yeah so I guess we should we should start with C++ um, start well this was this was going to be starting after the Varna meeting but uh, our plans have changed a little bit so um, I'm going to be uh, stepping down as chair of the library evolution incubator and the tooling study group and I'm going to be replacing Titus winters as the new library evolution. Uh, chair. So Titus has been chair now for, I think, three and a half years, and he's done um, a really an amazing job um, leading library evolution through um, a time of change and a time of growth. Um, uh, when when Titus first took over library evolution, the committee was a lot smaller, um, uh, and our, our goals and ambitions were even smaller. And uh, he's really navigated us through some very difficult waters and um, helped us deliver a very successful uh, C++ 20 standard and really laid the the, the um, groundwork for C++ 23 which is going to be a big library uh, release um, the committee at the varn uh, at the Prague meeting the committee adopted a plan for C++ 23 and beyond that plan is P0592. And that plan has four priorities that are must haves for C23. And those are executors, library feature, networking, library feature, modularizing the standard library, library feature, and co-routine libra- coroutines library support, also a library feature. So we um, we have a lot of work to do in library evolution and the, the main uh, library uh, core group um, for C plus plus twenty three.
1: Okay, so I think most of the people who are listening to this probably are fairly nodule at the standards committee because a lot of people on the committee are on this program and we talk about it. But but just to uh, just to give people a little bit of a um, an idea, um, there's kind of a flow of proposals. So if I were making a library proposal, I've got some new container that I think we need to have in the library, um, I'm going to take this and probably it will be discussed, if I'm lucky, it will be discussed at Library Evolution Working Group Incubator, which is the the committee that you used to chair or have been sharing. Um, And so at the incubator, the job of the incubator is to give general guidance to try to discourage people who are making proposals that probably are not going to make it in, to give direction for things that do uh, look like they might be worthwhile proposals, uh, things to avoid, things to try to make it better. At some point, uh, Lugie, as we call it, um, a particularly disgusting thing to say, I I will say. Um, Anyway, um, Lugie will say, no, this is probably better to be to go to the next step. And the next step is library evolution working group. And the library evolution working group is what you what Titus has been uh, chairing and you're now going to be taking over. And so this is where, um, fine tuning of the library, um, not necessarily wording, but all the concepts, including naming, blah, blah, blah. Once those are good, then that committee would refer this to the library working group. And that's currently chaired. Uh is Marshall still chairing that?
2: Has uh no, Jonathan Wakely is now now uh, chairing that. Yeah.
1: Jonathan Wakeley is now chairing that. Um and that is that is a committee that tends to be made up of implementers. And so they are really interested in wording. And so they will wordsmith the final proposal and generally uh we'll go into the standard from there if it's if it's accepted did I get that roughly correct
2: yes although one one thing that's worth noting is as you said um historically um library evolution has not uh, been a group where we've done wording or where we've necessarily even made sure that wording exists before it goes to the um, the core library group um but uh uh, that is that is no longer going to be the case um, uh, our our um, standard operating procedures have served us well for many years but um, the library uh, pipeline on the C++ committee has been underwater for um, two or three years that's one of the reasons why we formed the incubator groups um, we have uh, a significant backlog of of uh, work that we want to get done, um, and uh, we have a limited uh, amount of effort that we can spend on that work. And so one of the things that um, uh, we're going to be doing going forward is the, the bar for proposals to leave library evolution. And go to the core library group because that's really where the pipeline is. Is the core library group? The, you mean the bottleneck? Yes. Yeah. The, that's where the bottleneck is because there are a limited number of implementers. Right. Um, th- there is a wider set of people that can you know do design review, but um, all the implementers you know need to um, be able to provide their input on proposals at some point. Um, and so bef- And this is one of the things that
1: I, I think is kind of. I don't know how you can fix this, but you want the implementers to look at the wording. But you'd really love to have the implementers in the design group as well. Unfortunately, we can't clone them. Uh, but yeah, but it is—it's uh, why um, library evolution is such an important thing. We want senior people in there who may not have a lot of experience actually implementing the standard library, but they are good designers and um, hopefully can can set something up that that the implementers will think is uh implementable and uh worthwhile doing. And um it's yeah, you're your your changing the um deliverables for the committee is going to make it um a lot more difficult to get things through your committee and I'm for that.
2: <laughs> well- well, and, and so essentially what, we're, what, what we need to do going forward is that the the bar for a proposal to leave library evolution and, and make it onto the core library um, group's plate is uh, that that proposal has to be ready to go. That proposal must have wording. Yeah. Um, the library evolution has to ensure that we only send things to the, the core library group when they are ready for the core library group to review. In the past um, – we haven't always done that. Um, uh, uh, we would – once something was designed complete, we would tell the author, go generate wording and bring it to uh, uh, the library uh, working group. Um, that's So there may not have been any review
1: of the wording. There's review of the design, but not necessarily review of the wording. That puts a lot of burden on the library committee that has to do a lot more work to get that in shape.
2: Right. Not only that, but but proposal authors don't. You know, in some cases, a proposal author might not be familiar with what wording needs to look like, um, or or what we're asking for. And so, we're going to try to do a better job going forward of making sure that we connect paper authors with. uh, library wording experts and that there's offline review. Um, the the language pipeline does a lot more of this. When your paper goes to the core language group, somebody from the core language group gets appointed as sort of a shepherd for your paper to help you out and to help you prepare it for review. Um, so my, one of my, one of my goals is to ensure that uh, uh, going forward um, library evolution and the core um, library group um, uh, have a much closer relationship um, and uh, work together to ensure that the pipeline flows smoother. And uh, I should mention that that one of the other things we've, we've done um, uh, to try and uh, increase our bandwidth is um, we've introduced the notion of uh, vice chairs. Um, uh for um, a lot of our groups. So um, Fabio Fracchisi, um is going to be coming in as uh, uh, my vice chair for Library Evolution. Um, and for the Library Evolution Incubator, Billy Baker is going to be taking over as chair, and Nevin Lieber will be his vice chair. And for the Tooling Study Group, uh, Michael Spencer will be chairing, and Ben Boykle will be the vice chair. And uh, there's also a vice chair for the evolution uh, working group, David Stone, and also for the evolution incubator. So now effectively, all of the, the, the main evolution groups and incubators uh, on the committee now have both a main chair and, and a vice chair, um, which uh, uh, is very helpful when you're managing a large room. And it's going to be very helpful in the, the current era when we're going to have to be doing a lot of work uh, remotely. All right.
1: So uh, what about your uh, ambitions outside of C++? (laughs) Uh,
2: Yes. So so I am also uh, uh, running as a candidate for uh, chair of PL22. PL22 is the uh, U.S. Standards body for programming languages. Um, so, the, the way that ISO works, there is an international committee, and then every country has their own um, mirror committee of that international committee. So, there's an international committee for C, and then there is a US committee for C, there's a, um, a UK committee for C, there's a Canadian committee for C. Um, And uh, the Programming Languages Committee is the parent group for C++, C, and Fortran. So um, uh, the C++ committee within the U.S. is called PL22.16. It's a subgroup of this group that I'm running to become chair of, PL22. Um, PL22 itself doesn't actually... Um, uh, it's not as large as the C++ committee um, and it does not have as many active work items as uh, say C, C++ or C or Fortran because the, the work of developing those uh, uh, standards um, is largely delegated out to uh, the subgroups. So, PL22 isn't directly responsible for C++. There is a subgroup, PL22.16, that, rep- that you know represents the U.S. interests for C++ and the international mm-hmm. committee. Um, but PL22 is still an important group because it is the parent group for all of these programming languages, um, and uh, it does directly own some important things. Um, uh, like COBOL, Pascal, the Linux standard base um, uh, specifications, and um, uh, and various a number of other programming languages. Wait a are, are COBOL and Pascal are those ISO languages? Yes, they are. Um, there's actually a surprising. Um, you would be surprised at some of the languages that have um, ISO standards. So Smalltalk has a standard, Forth has a standard, APL has a standard, PL slash I has a standard. Um, there's a standard for C Sharp. There's a standard for CLI. ECMAScript um, uh, has a standard. Um, the PL22 is also responsible for some things that are cross language. Like there's, a, there's an effort for... Uh, producing um, standards that document programming language vulnerabilities and um, potential uh, safety issues or critical reliability issues, um, uh, thing like interactions with groups like MISRA C++ and MISRA C. Um, and a lot of those sorts of efforts are managed at the uh, the PL22 and the, the SC22 level.
0: You mentioned uh, cross-language concerns. Does that include interoperability, compatibility between, particularly C and C plus
2: Yeah, so that's actually it's actually very interesting that you bring that up because um, I just today was having a conversation with um, uh, a fellow Jens who works on the uh, the C language standard, and um, one of the thing we've been one of the things that he's uh, proposed recently um, is the creation of a uh, C C plus core specification, um, and and I actually think this is a this is a very excellent idea, and it and it's it's a very important thing too. Um, it in fact might be something I I might might go so far as to say that this is something that we need to do to ensure the longevity of the C and C++ standard. Um, Today, the C and the C++ standards um, are developed by separate groups, and the C++ standard incorporates, um, uh, uh, it's based off of the C standard, but we don't have all of the things that are in the latest C standard. There's some divergence between the two groups. Um, and there's some things that are in C++ that aren't back in the C standard. And increasingly we are finding that um, there are changes that we want to make either to C or to C++ where it is difficult to make those changes, um, to make you know both of the languages better or or to make even just one of them better. It's difficult to make those changes unless we do it in both of the languages at the same time, um, and so what? What Jens is proposing is to form a sort of a core um, spec um, uh, that um, both languages can use as a as a basis, and to and that this spec would try to um, uh, reduce some of the divergence that we have today, um, and. Given some of the the both the technical challenges of the divergence that we have between the C and C++ and some of the organizational challenges that we're having um, uh, in the C committee, I, I think that this is uh, an excellent direction and I, I hope that it, it gains traction both in the C committee and in the C++ committee. I think that some people... Um, uh, on the, in the C++ committee, some people are going to probably think, oh, well, well, whoa, 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 we don't want to, you know, let these C guys take over. And some people on the C committee are going to probably think, oh, whoa, 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 we don't want to let these C++ guys take over. But we have to recognize that we're a volunteer organization. We have a limited amount of effort. And uh, C++ uh, relies on the C standard. And at the end of the day, the C standard does rely on C++. And a lot of the, lot of the people who are doing work on the C standard also do work on the C++ standard. And uh, if we can move towards a world where we um, work uh, closer together um, and where we have a more unified approach to things, I think we'll be able to get a lot more done.
1: So one of the things that I would think that, you know, a a mistake that we've made that that we wouldn't make if we'd had this in place would be that there's a divergence in the C definition of bool. Believe it or not, C bool and C++ bool don't mean exactly the same thing. They're very similar, but the way they define it is different. And this is one of these things that I think if we were working together, the C, C++ people could have made the case that you, you don't want to define this new, almost new type. Go ahead and make it a new type. I think that's what they wanted to avoid. They didn't really want to make it a whole new type. Let's just make it a hack. And I think the C++ people would have argued, don't make it a hack. Make it a real type. Um, you know, because we have templates, we think of types differently than the C++ people do. Or than the C people do. Because in C, for example, if your long and your int happen to be the same size, then they're the same thing. There's just no there's no situation where they're any different. They just are. Whereas in a templated world, even if they are the same size, even if everything about them is exactly the same way, if you have a function that takes a long and a function that takes an int, they're going to behave differently. And Or you templatize on an int or a, a long. Um, you have two different templates. They are not interchangeable. Whereas in the C world, eh, if it's an int or a long and they happen to be the same size, then they're the same thing.
2: I do believe that uh, you're, you're mostly correct, although I do believe that even in C, they are still distinct fundamental types, but it's just not as observable. They
1: are, but it, it, that's the key, though. It's not as observable. Yeah. You can't say, oh, I'm going to create a, 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 a function or a template that does one thing for int and does something else for long. You just can't do that. Because you can't...
2: Yeah, or or I'm going to create an overload set... That's what I mean. for, it, where ...that contains int and long, but you can't do that because it's not a thing. That's what
1: I mean. And that's why, from their point of view, they're, they're I think they think less about types than we do. We are very... In the C++ world, it's all about types. That's what we do, right? Um, and so I think that they think differently. So I think this would have avoided that problem. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that the C people could have pointed at something that we did and said, you know, if you guys had thought through this better, you'd have had a better solution. But I'm also skeptical of the thing because one of the things I feel like um, an example might be of atomic. We have two different atomic ints, right? Because we have one that looks like a templated atomic int, and we also have this atomic int type, which is – why do we have that? Well, it's because that's compatible with C, because they don't have a syntax like our template syntax, and they're not likely to implement it. I understand they don't wanna they don't wanna go in that row. But my point is just we going forward, both languages are gonna deal with the same sorts of issues, like how do you deal with Unicode, blah, blah, blah. And the best solution for C and the best solution for C are not gonna be the same. And I have been kind of one of these people has said, "Look, it's really, really important that we are compatible with classic C, but going forward, we shouldn't jump through a lot of hoops to try to maintain compatibility with something when they're going to go their own way, and they should." I, but you're going to be in a different, in an interesting situation to to straddle that fence.
2: Yeah. So, so while while I certainly agree, like the the case for why C and C you know, should continue to exist is. Separate languages is that there are they have different mission statements, different um, users that they care about, different goals, um, and and I, I I fundamentally believe that that's true. Um, that there is a constituency for C um, uh, that just wants C, that just wants a much simpler language. Um, and, and I would argue um that it is a smaller constituency than exists for C++, but it does not make it any less of a valid constituency but um, uh, and, and I agree with you that, that there are certain problems like Unicode that um, uh, we will want to tackle differently um, in C and C++ but some part of the solution of that um, uh, needs to be unified. Um, and in fact, there is some, some ongoing um, Unicode work which we, we are finding we have to do concurrently in both C and C++. And it would be nice if we had a better form to do that. We actually now have a liaison list um, uh, for that purpose. Um, and the example you gave of, of you know, the, the uh, C11 atomics versus C++ 11 atomics, that's very near and dear to my heart. We tried to make a compatibility layer in C++ um but uh, as it turns out it's actually very difficult to write um, code which can be compiled uh, that uses atomics that can be compiled either as C++ or as C um, uh, there's this layer um, uh, C stood atomic that was supposed to do the trick but it had some problems in it um, uh, there was a paper for C++ 20 to try to fix some of those problems I can't recall if we actually got to it in time I I think we may not have, but um, it, it's, you know, some of us have to write code that has to compile as both C and C++. And um, it's very unfortunate when we have these divergences between language languages, um, especially when there's, you know, there's some core things that really should be unified, even if um, the user-facing part of the solution is going to look different. Well,
1: yeah, I the, the stuff that can be defined the same in both languages should be defined the same in both languages. I think it's over optimistic to think that that there's a lot that can be defined in both but but for those things I mean there's no there's no reason to be gratuitously incompatible yeah and um, and I, I think that um, it I guess what I'm saying is that it was clearly an important, feature of C++ as it gained prominence but I think it's less important to feature now. I think it's it's important that C++ be compatible with classic C which don't think we're going to lose that anytime soon. We're not, you know, anything that would break that is likely to get shouted down very quickly in the committee. Um, but I'm I'm willing to be convinced on issues going forward.
2: I um I, I, think, I think I'm definitely in the camp of – I believe that it's very important that, that um, C and C++ remain compatible and uh, evolve together harmoniously going forward.
1: You know, one of the areas would be to, to fix volatile for both languages in the same way.
2: Yes, that's an excellent example, yeah.
1: That, w- that would be an ex- excellent example because you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Uh, anything that we do in C++ with volatile that C doesn't do, that's going to be a problem. And, um, and I think volatile needs to be addressed in some way.
0: Um, and I believe, well, I think most of the problems with volatile, were were in the C++ specific parts of it.
1: Well, that, that's true. I mean, what we could do is we could invent a whole new volatile and just deprecate the old volatile and say, you know, whatever we say. Yeah. Implementations are free to treat it like C does for compatibility purposes, but we deprecate volatile. And if you want to do what volatile used to do, this is the way to do it in C++. Um,
2: and I, I believe that JF did take some part of his volatile proposal to both the C committee and the C++ committee. Um, at, at the end of the day, another reason why I really think we 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 ought to work together is that um, there's a lot of people, um, a lot of people who work on C++ compilers also work on C compilers, right. um, and a lot of people who who work on C++ language standards. Um, uh, could or, or perhaps should also be working on C language standards. And um, right now, you know, we have an abundance of effort in the C++ committee. Um, uh, uh, that does not mean that we can do all the things we want to do because our, you know, our time and resources are limited. But um, the C committee and the Fortran committee um, are both substantially smaller, they have um, um, fewer resources, but they are vital parts of our ecosystem. And we need to ensure that um, that these other ISO language standards uh, continue to get attention and continue to be evolved uh, in, a, in a responsible and timely fashion.
1: So I think one of the things that at one point was proposed for C++ was that essentially every major maybe even every C++ compiler but every major C++ compiler um, had a C component that could support dynamic arrays but there was no way that it there was no there was no standard way of implementing dynamic arrays for C++ because it's not in C++ and the proposal was shot down and it was kind of crazy to me because i understand we have perhaps better tools but if you're talking about standardizing existing practice, every single compiler out there has a, an extension in C++ because they just use the C code uh, to allow uh, dynamic arrays. We should, if, it, if that's a feature they all have, they should all be standardized. But I understand people pushing back and saying, but that's not a good feature. We shouldn't have it because it's bad programming. But if we do that, then we need to deprecate Unordered multi map and unordered multi set; those are also just bad. You shouldn't use them.
2: I, I think. I think in that particular case, it was less a matter of bad programming, as it was sort of a, a um, it was a, it, it was a view that that feature sort of violated some fundamental tenets of the language, um, uh, and had some very nasty implications that we didn't want to, to codify. Well. But I, I do generally agree with you that we ought to standardize existing practice.
1: Yeah, because one of the things that the compiler people, you know, legally the compiler compiler people can't just get together and talk about. It. So let's get this done straight. That's what the standards committee is for. If they're all going to have the same feature, they really should all work the same way, and that's what the committee is about. But uh, maybe there should be a committee in the in the standards committee that is a working group that is focused on, you know. Nasty parts that we don't that we don't advise people to use, but if you're going to use it, this is how you should use it.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, we have a question in the in the chat room. Um, I, I've always wondered why Bjarn did not uh, originally did not originally contribute all of his changes back to C and created C by forking C. Um, I think I, I don't think it was because Bjarni was unwilling to do that. I think it was more that the C community thought of C++ as this wild, object-oriented thing that they... um, uh, But in fact, they were open to... uh, This is one of the things that most people I don't think know, is that the const was originally introduced in C++, and it was backported to C. It was added to C after it was introduced for C++. um, Because I think um, the C community as we are, is willing to steal good ideas, which is what anybody should do. Yeah. You should be uh, not afraid to steal good ideas. And I think that the const, that, that const was seen by the C community as, wow, that's, that's worthwhile. We should have that. Um, and it, in fact, other, it may even be that, that um, there were other features as well. I don't know if function prototyping was one, but some of these things that, the, the, um, that came out of the C++ world went back into C.
2: So the, the the memory model the C++ 11 memory model was originally developed in the C++ committee and was uh, brought to C. there's a there's a number of features that have had this trajectory there's also a number of features that started in C and came into C++ um, as for why they're separate languages again I think that um, uh, that there are different constituencies for C and C++ um, I that they there are people who just want C. There are people that that, that um, just want the simpler language. Um, I, I think it's sort of a philosophical matter whether or not you consider C a, a um, subset of C++ or not. Um, I, I think the direction of the, the C, C++ core proposal would take us more in that direction of having a sort of a subset relationship. Yeah. Um which is maybe maybe it's a good thing. Sure, sure. I mean, or well, let me put it you this way. The relationship exists whether we like it or not. The fact is that our standard do, is based off of the C standard. Um, uh, and like these days, it's based off of the C standard minus a couple things. Right. But yeah. like we do contain another language inside of our language.
1: Right. You know, I'm, I'm old enough. I've been doing this long enough that I actually remember um, the attitude about C++ is – that it was um, – that it, it going from C to C++, you were giving up all this performance. There was this idea that C++ was a less performant language. And now, when you look at C++, it is considered higher performance, but maybe – Uh, more complicated or something like that. In other words, it was at once seen as slower than C, but now it's seen as faster than whatever Java or Python or something like that, but maybe have more baggage. And it's really interesting how the world has rotated so that um, trying to convince people that virtual functions are not that expensive is last year's battle. Nobody cares anymore because they do think of C++ as high performance. Um, but now the, now the battle, battle is trying to convince them that dealing with things at this low level is not too much of a burden for programmers. So
2: one of, one of the major existing reasons, like one of the major existing use cases of C is C is the de facto um, uh, interface uh, for programming languages to speak to each other. And it is also the de facto way to ship uh, an ABI uh, uh, stable interface. Um, uh, shipping shipping an ABI like shipping an ABI stable interface in C is a lot easier than C um, because there's a lot um, there are a lot fewer things that you can do that will subtly break your ABI. So sometimes. You know, so as much, as much as I love C, sometimes there's a perfectly good reason for a C project to have a C API, which is that forcing yourself into the constraints of C um, uh, makes it easier for you to ship something that you will be able to uh, uh, provide an API stability guarantee for.
1: No question. I worked on a huge project where our goal was to be. Uh, we were doing a back-end. Actually, we were using Objective-C as the front-end, and so we had a C uh, API layer. Totally totally understand that, totally buy into that. But one of the things I would point out is that it's like scientists wanting to use Latin. Why do scientists want to use Latin? Is it a particularly descriptive language? No, it's a language that never changes. And so one of the arguments about this C compatibility or using C as the... As the uh, Interface layer is one of the things is that you don't expect that to ever change. And so that's one of the reasons why I say it's really important that C++ remain compatible with classic C. It's less important that it be compatible with uh, things that are adding or changing about C because that's not what people are doing, ABI stable layers and things like that. The, what What's important there is an interface, and that interface is not, should not, Cannot change?
2: I, I, I certainly, um, I, I think that there is a lot less of a desire for ABI evolution within the C world. Um, I think C takes it as more of a fundamental tenant that they uh, be compatible and, and ABI stable with you know how things have been. Um, I think there's more of an appetite in the C++ world to um uh, uh, be willing to move towards a better world, even if it requires ABI evolution. Right. So um,
1: do we want to shift back and talk about, uh, uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit about Lugie, your experience there. Okay. You were the first chair of that. You created that. I don't mean it was necessarily your idea, but I mean, you brought it up. You, um, You were the first chair. You created the uh, the world's perception of what this is supposed to be about. Um, how uh, I assume you're not leaving because you thought it was an unsuccessful attempt, but maybe you did.
2: <laughs> no, no, I, it's um, it's actually uh, the the formation of Lugie, um was kind of my idea um, before the San Diego meeting. I essentially sent an email to Herb suggesting maybe we should have a you know a Luke two or a side group or something. And uh, I didn't know at the point that. So, Oogie was actually, which is SG17, was actually in the. It was being created before Lugi, um, which might be surprising to some people because the library pipeline was where we've always had a bigger backlog. But um, when I sent this email to Herb saying basically, hey, I think we should try to have, you know, uh, we, should, we should try to find a way to paralyze um, the the Luke workload in some way. Um, uh, he, uh, Sabeko replied to me saying, "Hey, well, you know, we're forming this new Oogie group. Why don't we form a Lugi group?" And uh, then I got uh, tricked into into agreeing to chair it. I was, I don't remember who it was that I tried to suggest should do it. That wasn't me, but it very it became very. Uh, quickly evident that uh, that uh, Herb was volunteering me for this. Um, so I, I, I've been very happy with all the work that Lugie's been able to do. Um, uh, I, for, for me, at least, um, the, 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 the purpose, the, the mission of Lugie is to um, uh, filter through all the proposals that we get Take the ones that are you know most viable and refine them and and send them along. Um, you know th- there's there's sort of two camps of people uh, in the the C++ library evolution world. There's big li- There's people who want a really big standard library. And there's people who want a smaller standard library. Um, our our time and resources are are limited, so we we have to we can't do everything that we want to do. And in fact, we can't even do all the things that the small library camp wants, um, because we are so bandwidth limited. And so what Lugie was meant to do was to try and make us use our time more effectively. Um, And it it was also created to to ensure that proposal authors got, got feedback, which we've done a good job of making sure that that everybody who submits a paper, you know, gets their paper reviewed basically at the next meeting. So, well, one of the things that
1: I and I know because you have discussed what you think these are the things that we expect of a standard library of a library that should be in the standard. What are the characteristics? And I think one of the things that is not has historically not happened enough is we haven't said no enough. We need to right. be more forthful and more uh, quickly. Willing to say no because, and I don't want to bring it up because we don't we only have five minutes left. I don't want to bring it up, but there's one one particular thing that we're probably all thinking about, where a lot of effort was put into it, and then we said no, and it's like, well, the reasons we said no, we didn't have to see all that effort. We could have said no up front. Why didn't we say no up front right. and save ourselves an awful lot of heartache and a lot of people a lot of work? And I think that this is one of the things that that the committees need to do is to. Because from from the point of view of somebody on the committee, the easiest thing to, to decide to do is to say, do some more work and come back. Because then I don't have to commit right. to putting it in because, well, it's not really perfect. I don't really want to put it. But I don't have to commit to say no because, well, maybe there's something good here. And so it's easy to say, work on it some more and bring it back. And that has two problems. One is that's committing the committee to do more work in the future. And the other thing is that if it isn't something we should really be working on it's creating a lot of work for an author that's that's already a volunteer and is in good heart trying to do something for the community and for you to string them along, which, as I said, from the point of view of somebody voting, it's the easiest vote to make.
2: Right. And, and, and it, you know, there was – it was really a before, – before Lugie got started, it was a a running joke on the committee that um, any poll that was an encourage more work poll always passed. Um and one of, the, one of the things that I realized early on was that those polls were dangerous. Taking polls of saying we want to encourage the author to do more work was dangerous because we were not factoring in our time, committee time. So I think the most important thing I did with Lugie was establish um, – uh, you know, this idea within the committee of our time and resources being limited and that we need to factor that in to the decisions that we make, that we're, we're not just deciding what's, you know, a good design and what's not a good design, but we have to decide on priorities. And I, I mean, I think one of the best things that we've done for C++ in the past year is, um, adopted, uh, this plan for C++ 23 and beyond, um, uh, which is 5.9.2. Now I, I guarantee you that if you, it, you could not get consensus for each of the individual bullet points in, um, P 592 nobody on the committee, like there, there was not a consensus on the committee that, that that was all the plan that we wanted if left up to our own devices. But, Everybody was willing to adopt that plan because that plan had enough of the things that we wanted, and we recognized that it was more important for us to have a plan than to not have a plan. So maybe maybe you're, you were like, well, you know, I really want networking, but I don't really care about modularizing the standard library. But you were willing to vote that that should be a priority because having a having a set of priorities is super important. And, uh, and having that set of priorities, you know, ha- having, having a, a plan, having priorities will make it a lot easier for us to get work done um, because it'll make it easier for us to say, no, we can't spend time on this because we need to work on the priorities first. Um, it doesn't mean that things that aren't on our list of priorities won't happen. Um, uh, it's just that we won't do work on other things um, if there's work to be done on our priorities. Um yeah and what, one of the other things that that the incubator has done um uh is there's a lot of proposals where we're not saying no to the proposal it's a good proposal the problem is just that the scope of the proposal is too large um you know m- mission creep is a big problem uh the the majority of the valuable work that Lugie does is taking a really big paper and saying you know what we're going to we're going to take this part we don't need it for right now we're going to we're going to like leave this part out leave this part out just give us this core proposal the core functionality one of the questions that i frequently ask people is you know if we don't ship this component in version 1 is there anything that will stop us from adding it later like if we don't add this feature in version 1 of the proposal and we shipped version one in an international standard, would it be a breaking change for us to add the feature later? If so, then that feature is probably a fundamental component. If it's something that purely can be added later down the road, then should it really be in version one? We want to do incremental evolution whenever possible. So when I, when, when I was sharing Lugie, I was always looking for the, the essential part of the paper, you know, how much stuff can I cut out? And I wasn't even thinking about, you know, did I want that stuff or not? I was, it was just that we had so many big proposals that anytime I could find anything that, that, uh, we had consensus was not, um, necessary in version one, even if it was something that was a great feature, then we should leave it out of version one so that we can ship version one.
1: Well, I applaud. Anything is pushing back. I think I think we've been too fast at getting things in. I know one of the things that you've pointed out as a a criterion of putting things in the library is is there original research still being done in this area and I think if we'd asked that question with hash tables, we might not have uh we might not have unordered in the standard the way we do now where people are saying don't use it it doesn't have the performance of of other available hash tables yes, and I think that's something we need to. Uh, give more thought on because I, I don't think we're uh you know someone has some new cool idea. say hey this is a great library it should be in the standard and people don't fully appreciate what what that means to put something in the standard and lock it in there forever
2: and and you know the the people have talked a lot about the performance implications of locking things in i actually think that that's the wrong conversation to have the the real the real conversation is you know the uh, the, the stability guarantees that users expect and that we make in the standard library, um, they change how we design things. You know, if, if I tell you, um, you have to, sh- the, the first version that you ship of this feature, you can't change for 10 years, and not only you can't change it, you can't add anything for 10 years, that changes your answer to the question can I add this non essential component later? And that means that you 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 want to have more things in your minimal viable product because you can't necessarily add them later. And so that means that your minimal viable product is larger, but also you want to be careful and cautious about your minimal viable product because you know that you can't fix your mistakes. So on the one hand, you want to have a larger minimal viable product because you can't incrementally evolve it. But on the other hand, you want to have a small minimal viable product because you can't fix your mistakes. This makes it very challenging to standardize things. Yeah, um, it's a very tough environment, and so yeah, we have to set the bar higher. Yeah. Here, and I think we will. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things. Do we have? Uh, I just wanted. I wanted. Do we have time to talk briefly about uh, uh, what's going to happen with C standardization given the uh, cancellation of the Varna meeting? Um.
1: I, uh, yeah, we still have a few minutes because we started a little bit late, yeah. so we should do that. But I, I did want to say that one of the things that I've pushed for people who are in library groups is is to push back on anything that doesn't have extensive real-world experience. It's not like language features where you can say, well, how can we test it? We can't really know because there's no compiler out there that supports it. Where libraries are concerned, obviously, Boost is the is the obvious thing, but Boost is not the only thing. Um uh, anybody who puts something on on you know GitHub by themselves probably aren't going to get enough users. It needs to have a wide user base, like Boost or Abzol or something like that. Doesn't have to be Boost, but but I'm pushing back really hard on any library proposals where it's like, oh, we've got a working version and, and you know we've got a thousand people who've downloaded it and, and they've used it a little bit. That's not enough. Um, the the uh, um, the trial by fire. That happens with something like a Boost library is it's hard to see, it's hard to measure, but talk to a Boost author and ask them if their library is better for having gotten into Boost. And almost all of them will say it was a hellacious experience, but the library is better for it.
2: Yeah. I mean it is the case that sometimes there are things that we standardize that are you know um, riskier things that um, you know are really visionary sort of things like that's that's what the STL was back in the day but typically I'm looking uh, one of my mantras is we're looking to standardize existing practice you know if you bring a proposal I want to know you know is this a thing that, is in that folly has some version of and absol has some version of and there's some version in boost and there's like five or 10 different variants of this around the world and everybody has a slightly different semantics um, that's the sort of thing that's exactly what we want to standardize when it's something that yeah
1: and that's what i push back on because i want to see a particular one that's gone onto the trial by fire i understand that you can say well no that's it's obviously it, it makes sense for us to consider that, but one of the problems is once you get that API, you don't change it. So, to say, well, let's merge these six APIs or these three APIs, that's not necessarily the same as saying, well, this particular API had a few hundred thousand usages. That's what I'm
2: saying. Um, I, I agree, but... Um... Uh, even if it's something that has wide usage experience, I, I wanna know that like the the evidence that people have created this all over the place tells me that there is a a broad demand for the feature. You know, if, if you come to me with a proposal and it has, you know, a thousand stars on GitHub and it's it's been used by tens of thousands of people, that's great. But if you bring that same proposal and you also point out, you know, the the five or ten other things out there that are very, very similar to it. That tells me that it's like, it's not just this one thing that pe- people have recurring have repeatedly come in uh, across this use case and created their own version of this thing. And so it, it, it's a existing best practice across the industry and something worthy of standardization.
1: Okay. Maybe <laughs> let's talk about um, what you were saying. You, the, the standards committee has changed its schedule because of, uh, Lockdown.
2: Yeah. So um I mean obviously we're we're living in very uncertain uh and interesting uh and scary times right now. Um uh we've had to cancel the upcoming Varna committee meeting because of the uh the coronavirus. Um and uh, uh i mean we we only have n- nine
1: and and interestingly the, the 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 terminology used there was not canceled even though it was canceled but the terminology is it was postponed because the schedule
2: the, – so, so to clarify, the yeah, the, 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 the meeting that was happening in June is canceled. Yes. But we are planning on having a meeting in Varna probably in 2021. So it, that the meeting um, – a meeting in Varna has been postponed, but there will not be a, a replacement meeting this summer, right. face-to-face meeting of the committee. Right. Um, now, there's only nine meetings in between each um, uh Committee release. There's three a year, and, and because we have three
1: meetings a year, yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, realistically, there's only about six of those meetings where we can do design work. The last three meetings were spent um, doing the beta testing, where we send out the committee draft and we get feedback. Um, so, not having Varna means that we've lost uh, a, a sixth of the time that we were going to spend on C plus plus twenty three. Um, so, we need to adapt to that. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, at, at times like these, you know, family and your personal health and well-being comes first and not everybody's going to be working at 100%. Um, you know, a lot of people have kids at home uh, and, and a lot of people have um, uh, disruptions with their day jobs Um, uh, or they're just less productive because they're cooped up in their house. So uh, obviously we're going to, we're going to take a bit of a productivity hit. Some people are going to perhaps not be able to participate over the next few months as they're dealing with uh, this, uh, this, you know, uh, really different work environment that we're in. But um, that does not mean that we should just say, Oh, well, we're just gonna, you know, we'll, we'll just, give up and we just won't get anything done for the next couple of months. Um, we, we can't we can't do that um, uh, you know we have to do our best to adapt to these disruptions and carry out our um, uh, our evolution of C++ remotely. so um, Jf and I uh, who Jf who's the chair of the language evolution group uh, we have been putting together a uh, plan for how we are going to evolve C++ remotely. Um, uh, that plan is going to go out in a paper. Um, the, the basics of the plan is that we're going to be holding telecons, um, one for library and one for language, um, every week from now until, uh, October. Um, and we're going to be relying more on things like the mailing list, um, uh, to do offline review. Um, and, the other thing is the way that we distribute papers, we used to have these pre-meeting and post-meeting mailings of papers. Well, we even before the coronavirus, we were already moving towards a world where we were going to do um, on-demand paper publications. We were going to have weekly releases of papers. Um, what we've settled on is we're going to have um, a monthly mailing. So every month there will be a new batch of C++ committee papers that will go out. Um, so I obviously there's... We we lose something by not having the face to face meeting. Um, a lot of what we lose is not just the interpersonal interactions, you know, the conversations in the bar, um, uh, the the proximity of having everybody there and working on one thing for a week. The biggest thing that we really lose is the loss of a deadline. Um, uh, that we had this face-to-face meeting and this you know deadline a month ahead of time that you had to get your paper in to get it into that that to get it reviewed at that meeting and now we don't have that now we have these monthly deadlines and we have telecons but if if your thing's scheduled for a telecon or if you were planning on publishing something in April and you miss it the 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 penalty now is not that you have to wait 3 to 6 months for the next committee meeting it's, uh, it's oh, I'll publish it in the next month's mailing, or, oh, I'll just ask the chair to reschedule my telecon for sometime next week.
1: Well, also, having people on site for a week essentially meant they were dedicated for a week. I mean, some people right. were dealing with their email, and they might do a bug or something if there's a hot bug comes up. But for the most part, they were spending one week – seems like a lot, but it goes by really fast – but they spent one week that was dedicated – when people are on lockdown and they're dealing with their families and everything, and there's a telecon that lasts ninety minutes, you're not getting a week out of them. You're getting
2: and, ninety minutes, and you have a you have a you have a loss of continuity. Yes,
1: yes, yes, you know you don't you don't you you you. So one of the things about meetings is that um, if anyone wants to go, they are open to anyone to come and observe. Is this going to be true of your telecon? Are you going to make the schedule of this public? And are you prepared to have? you know, um, maybe several dozen C++ programmers who've never been in a meeting before just decided to tune in to find out how exciting it is to talk about Volatile?
2: Yeah, so so um, I, I knew that this question was going to come up. And in <laughs> fact, I had, I had put the draft of our plans on GitHub and uh, just on my personal GitHub. And I've already gotten emails from people saying, hey, I saw that you put this on GitHub. I'm interested. How do I sign up? Um, so the... The the committee nothing has changed about committee participation, um, uh, which is that you know anybody could show up to a face to face committee meeting. Um, the the people who are sort of allowed to officially uh, 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 be members of the committee are people who have joined through their national body. Um, but what we typically say is you know if you, if you show up to a face-to-face meeting um, uh, then we'll give you access to the mailing list and the wiki um, and whatnot um, and you can participate even if you're not you know officially a member of your of your uh, country's national body um, national body um, obviously times have changed a bit but in, and uh, with the remote meetings um, uh, you know that sort of changes what that bar looks like. So we, we have talked about this. Um, the, the way that we're going to do things is the way that we've always done things, which has been that if somebody wants to get access to the um, the mailing list um, uh, or the wikis or participate in the meetings and they have not attended a face-to-face meeting, um, all that they need to do is to um, speak with a uh, chair on the committee. And a chair on the committee can always request that an expert who is unable to attend face-to-face meetings be allowed to participate in uh, the committee process. You know, there have been people over the years, um, Peter Dimov is a great example, of a C++ expert who has been unable to attend face-to-face meetings but who participates in standardization through the mailing list, um, through the wiki, and who would be able to participate in these telecons? So we're not going to open up these telecoms, you know, to the entire world in that we're not just going to publish you know, a, a, a link where anybody can join. Um, uh, but if you are interested in participating, um, you can reach out to uh, uh, the chairs of the groups that you'd like to participate in. And have a conversation with them about it, um, and that is that is our current plan for, for how we're going to do things. This is these are uncharted waters for the committee. We we have a bit of field experience um, with doing telecons, uh, the tooling group, the Unicode group, um, the core group, the library core group all have done telecons in between meetings for
1: the education group
2: for many years. The education group have all done telecons. SG14 has done telecons. Um, We've, we've even got some experience doing decision-making on telecons. Um, So we have some experience, but we don't have experience with um, uh, having all of our groups operating remotely. We don't have experience with the sudden loss of deadlines that we've relied on. We don't have experience with operating in a world where we need to spread out our work over a few months instead of concentrating it all into one week. And the committee is going to have to learn to adapt um, over the next couple weeks and months. We're like, we will need to learn how to exist in an environment where. Where we don't have these hard deadlines, where we're not going to have a, a a one week period where we're sequestered with each other, um, and uh, I'm I'm confident that we'll be able to be successful here. Um, it's going to be challenging. Um, I'm sure it's going to be rocky, uh, and I'm sure it's going to be overwhelming. Uh, but we will we will get through this. Um, and the the other thing I I want to make clear is that. Um, uh, the committee is and always has been a volunteer organization and we know that this has been, you know, we know that the ongoing coronavirus, uh, uh, pandemic is very disruptive to people's lives. We're not expecting everybody to continue participating in the way that they always have. Like we get that everybody has day jobs. We get that everybody has families. And if you're unable to participate, that's perfectly fine. That does not preclude you from participating later once we get past this and once things return to um as close to normal as 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 they as can be expected um obviously some things are going to you know change and stay that way um but if you're unable to participate if you can't join a particular telecon that does not mean that your voice will not be heard that does not preclude you from being involved nobody is going to say well, your opinion on this paper doesn't matter because you weren't able to join this telecon in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. All right. Nobody needs to have a fear of missing out. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, um, so we're a little over on time, but I did. I am glad that you went over that kind of stuff because that's important for us to know. Yeah. And there will be people who will, will join who've never gone to a committee meeting, and uh, you might find them a valuable source of insight, and that would be terrific. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll get in, uh, wrapped up enough that they'll continue to work with the committee, uh, maybe never appearing on site, maybe being like Peter Dimov, somebody who contributes uh, remotely, or maybe they'll uh, find a way to come to the committee. Yeah. Either way, I think, um, you know, some good things happen out of the worst tragedies. And um, and so something good will come of yeah. uh, it.
2: I certainly, I mean, um, if we are successful in um, executing remote operations, I see no reason that we would not Continue to do so uh, in, in the future, um, at probably at a at a lesser scale. I mean, we're going to be meeting. We're going to have multiple meetings every week for the next few months. That's probably not something we're going to do long term. But if we find telecons to be effective, there's no reason that we wouldn't have a monthly a monthly telecon meeting of Library Evolution. Like, if it, if it works, why would I stop? One
1: of the things that I've observed about this having worked with things like conferences and things like that is if you if you are working with volunteers who have a lot of things on their plate and they're juggling their lives and homes and work and all these things having a regular thing is kind of a tickler this oh that's right i got to spend some time on that because i wanted to get that and i want to be able to report that some forward happened, so i better dedicate a few hours so having a monthly telecon in addition to the the regular meetings once things get back to normal um might, might turn out to be quite promising. Yep. Um, any thoughts uh, on this, on Phil? I know that you do a lot of uh, telecom work, but I know you also do a lot of uh, face-to-face stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I, I do think that there, there is a positive side to it, you say, that there are going to be people that haven't been able to participate before who, who can now, and we will make it a taste for how that works and make that uh, more of an opportunity on an ongoing basis we are just have to see how that works, but it's going to be a new way of working for a lot of people, but we're all learning this as we go along at the moment. So it's a good time to test the waters, I think. All right.
1: Um, So Bryce, congratulations again on your um, next step in your uh, quest for world domination. Uh, (laughs) um, And um, uh, I urge you to... um, Uh, to join us in uh, wishing all of our listeners safe coding. So uh, safe coding, everyone. Safe coding.
2: Safe coding, everyone.